honor tonight. I've come to know the, the Gamels and our families had the privilege of getting close to them. They're some of our best friends. And every time that I've heard Allison explain a vision or a dream or teach, she just blesses me. Cover your years for a minute. <laughs> She's one of the purest gifts I've ever ran into. <laughs> now, you don't have to cover your ears because it's pure. But tonight, I just want to introduce to you, and it's an honor and a privilege, Allison Fowler. Amen. Thank you. Well, it's an honor to speak tonight. And man, do you guys feel that presence? It is so weighty in this room right now. And I just, um, I want to take a minute. Lord, you can do through your presence what a message could never do, Lord. So we just invite you in this place, Lord. We ask that you would begin to just work on hearts. Lord, we lay down our pride. I lay down performance mentalities, Father God, whatever it is, Lord, this is about you, your spirit, what you want to do. So we just invite you to speak. Thank you for an open heavens, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'd like to give you permission while I'm speaking. If the Holy Spirit starts talking to you, just Drown me out, because that's more important. It's funny, sometimes I feel like when we're in a, these settings and environments, the Lord is finally able to get us quiet and still enough to begin speaking. And so if you never hear anything that I say tonight, I'm okay with that, because that happens with me. Sometimes I'll sit down and I'll hear the Lord start speaking to me, and I'm like, I don't know what that speaker just said, but he opened something up, and I'm really thankful for it. You know, and so you know, just, just listen to the Holy Spirit. He's going to be nudging people tonight and speaking in your heart to you, but um, I want to start off talking about a vision that the Lord gave me. He's been kind of stirring something in my heart for the last couple of months, and um, I was actually at a memorial service for a family friend. She was an intercessor, and she went to be with the Lord this year, and I was sitting in the back of the auditorium. I was actually holding Isaac, and um, Aunt Didi and Pastor Michael Kelly were up on stage, and she was singing, It Is Well With My Soul. And I'd never really listened to the words of that song before. Like, I had heard it, but I hadn't, like, heard it. Like, it didn't hit me like it had in that moment. And um, I saw this vision, and she was singing, It Is Well With My Soul, of myself as, uh, as the ground. And every time that I would declare out of my mouth, it is well with my soul, the Lord took a shovel and began to dig deep within me. And it was like all this chaos surrounded, but if I could just focus my affection and my attention on him and say, no, it is well with my soul. Like no matter what's going on no matter around me, no matter what I've been through, no matter the trauma, if I can just remember that it's well with my soul because Jesus is the well that never runs dry, and he's given us that. If I can remember that it's well with my soul and that eternity is waiting for me, then all this doesn't, it, it pales in comparison to that. And so I heard the Lord begin to scoop dirt, and he just kept scooping dirt as I began to sing, it's well with my soul. 
And he said, every time you choose to rest in my wellness, you dig deeper into the well of my spirit. Let trials and tribulations become the very things that cause you to dig your heels deeper into the firm foundation of Christ. Some of you feel like you've been in a pit. Maybe you feel like Joseph. And, and like things are just not going right for you. And it's funny because you're looking for a way out when God's saying, no, you're about to strike water. I want you to dig deeper. You're not in a pit. You're in a well. And, uh, you know, as the Lord began to speaking this to me, I, I thought about hitting rock bottom. You know, a lot of us, we think about life and we're like, oh, man, like I've just hit rock bottom. I've hit rock bottom. But you haven't hit rock bottom until you've hit water. And sometimes you have to hit rock bottom so that you can run into the love of Christ. We, we get so caught up on selfishness, selfish desire, selfish ambition, the things and how they're affecting us. We take our gaze away from Jesus and we forget that we need him. And so we need to remember that we need him. And sometimes it takes God allowing us to go through some hardship. And I don't believe he causes it, but I think he uses it to help get through to us that we need him. Not just on Sunday, not just in services, every moment of every day. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day and I told him, you know, the, the more mature I get in God, the more I realize how immature I am. Does that make sense? And just how much I actually need him, like not just for a moment, you know, not just when it's time for me to speak or time for me to lead worship or time for me to pray for somebody every second. Like, Lord, I just need you. I need you to give me strength. I need to know what your Holy Spirit is leading me to do. You know, maybe I could put it this way. Stop asking God to get you out of the pit and start asking him to dig deep. You know, David, in, in Psalms, he said, search me and know me. There's a, there's a digging process in searching. It's like, um, have you ever seen how they dig for fossils or they excavate you know they they dig they dig deep 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 into the ground and there's a process of digging deep where God wants to he wants to begin digging a well in you for the Holy Spirit to move through you but also begin to pull out some of the the potential in you there's giftings deep down inside there's there's destiny deep down inside that the Lord wants to begin to dig um, for you to find. But there's, there's a first step to this process of being able to, to let the, the Lord turn you into a well, and that's to deal with your dirt. Um, everybody's got dirt. In fact, we were made from dirt, <laughs> which means there's a lot of it, right? And um, it's, it's crazy because, you know, you think about what, what are we... What is, our, what is our makeup? And when you look at Genesis, Genesis tells us we're part dirt, we're part breath. But the breath part was the part that gave us life, right? It was the part that actually animated us and, and gave us the essence and image of God. And so the dirt we can do away with, and, and, and the breath is what we need more of because that's the life. And it's not that the dirt is bad. The dirt is good because it, it, it fashioned something for him, a vessel for him to breathe into, right? But if we become a statue rather than a vessel, there's nothing to be able to pour into. 
which is what's happening in a lot of our lives. We are so caked with dirt that the Lord has nothing, nothing to be able to pour into. We're not a vessel anymore. Um, so the process, the process of dealing with your dirt is actually called deliverance. And I know sometimes when we talk about deliverance in the church, people think about like manifesting demons and all these crazy things. And of course, that's a part of it. There is demonic powers that are trying to come at us. There is warfare in this walk. But let me tell you something. The enemy only has ground where you've allowed him to have ground. So the first step is actually dealing with selfishness in ourselves and asking the Lord, what areas have I given him ground or access to be able to come at me? You know, I I hear people all the time and they're like, oh, you know, the devil, he did this to me or he did that to me. And my question to them is, well, why'd you let him? You know, I have to ask myself that. Things start going wrong and I'm like, God, why did I let him? What's inside of me? What lies have I been believing that have allowed him to have access to my life or an open door to to come in? And I don't believe that deliverance is just done in a moment. I think it's daily. Every single day, we have to come to the Lord and we have to say, Lord, look at my life. Search me and know me. Dig deep within me because dirt dirt likes to come back into the hole. The walls of a well likes to cave back in if they're not properly um, fortified. And Jesus is our fortification, right? And so if we're not having an encounter with Jesus to fortify the walls of the well, it's all going to collapse and we're going to be filled with dirt once again. It's daily, daily encountering him. So I want to go to John 4. And there's a There's a story, a popular story, (laughs) about Jesus with the woman at the well. And I'm sure lots of you have have heard this before, but I'd like to read it to you and maybe give you a a different take. Let's see if I can find it. It says, Jesus arrived, I'm starting at verse 5, Jesus arrived at the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph long ago. Wearied by his long journey, he sat on the edge of Jacob's well. So there's, there are wells that have been dug from, from long ago that the Lord is, is, I believe, having us redig right now. And I'll, we'll talk a little bit about that later. He sent his disciples into the village to buy food for it was already afternoon. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink of water. Surprised, she said, why would a Jewish man ask a Samaritan woman for a drink of water? And I know many of you have heard this before, but for those of you who haven't, what you need to know in context is that the Jewish people and the Samaritans didn't really get along. Um, They didn't really talk to each other. And, And Jews were kind of disgusted by Samaritans lots of times. So the fact that Jesus was even addressing her or having conversation with her was out of the norm. Um... Surprised, she said, why would a Jewish man ask a Samaritan woman for a drink of water? Jesus replied, if you only knew who I am and the gift that God wants to give you, you'd ask me for a drink, and I would give to you living water. Now, we all know when we read this passage that what he's talking about is his everlasting well of salvation and a place of intimacy and relationship with him. The woman replies, but sir, you don't even have a bucket, and this well is very deep, so where are you going to find this living water? All right, think about what she's, she's not even 
she's not even thinking on the level that he's thinking. She is so natural-minded that he's talking about dealing with her heart, and, and she's like, all I can see around me is that you don't have a bucket. And he's like, no, 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 you don't get it, lady. You are the bucket. You know, like, like he's trying to get it through to her, but she, she doesn't get it. She says, do you really think that you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who dug this well and drank from it himself along with his children and livestock? Answer, yes, but he didn't say that. <laughs> he is greater. Jesus answered, if you drink from Jacob's well, you'll be thirsty again and again. If you drink from people's wells, you'll be thirsty again and again and again. You can only get everlasting water from Jesus. Once again, he's answering her, this is not going to do you. Looking at your circumstances on the outside is not going to do you anything. You've got to dig deeper. This is about an inner work. He said, but if anyone drinks from the living water I give them, they'll never thirst again and will be forever satisfied. For when you drink the water I give you, it becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit, springing up and flooding you with endless light. So now he's saying, if you tap into the well of my presence, you become a well. The woman replied, let me drink that water so I'll never be thirsty again and won't have to come back here to draw water. She is still confused. She's not getting it. She's like, well, that would be nice. It, she's thinking about inconvenience right now, like literally still natural-minded, like, well, if I didn't have to come back here every day to get water, that would be kind of nice. And he's like, no, you don't get it. But how many of us have that mentality with the Lord, even with the well of salvation, where we say, if I didn't have to come back here every day, maybe things would be a little better. It's just too much work. It's too inconvenient. She's thinking about inconvenience. I don't have time for that. I don't have time to just sit in his presence. I don't have time to just keep digging deep inside of me. I got too much going on. And this, this woman is thinking like that. Well, it would be nice if I didn't have to come back. And she's like, no, 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 you still don't get it. Jesus said, go get your husband and bring him back here. Whoa, now he's like really stepping on her toes, right? Anyone ever been like that in the presence of God? God starts talking to you about something. And you're like, God, I need this, I need that, I need that. And he's like, mm, we'll table that. Let's talk about this. What's going on inside, right? She says, but I'm not married, the woman answered. That's true, Jesus said, for you've been married five times and now you're living with a man who is not your husband. You have told the truth. Ooh. We get really concerned about offending people, and that was really offensive. Sometimes, in order to get through to people, you have to say something that, that will actually strike through to the heart. And of course, the motive has to be pure. Jesus' motive was so pure. He wanted to see her heart captured. So, so what he did, he talked about something that she had never told him about, and he struck to her heart. The woman said, you must be a prophet. Still doesn't totally get it. So tell me this. Why do our fathers worship God here on the nearby mountain, but your people teach that Jerusalem is the place where we must worship? Which is right. Still worried about outside stuff. Where are we supposed to worship? Where's the place? Where's the physical place? Jesus responds, believe me, dear woman, the time has come when you won't worship the Father on a mountain nor in Jerusalem, but in your heart. Your people don't really know the one they worship. 
We Jews worship out of our experience, for it's from the Jews that salvation is made available. He's talking about himself there. He's the way to salvation. From here on, worshiping the Father will not be a matter of the right place, but with the right heart. For God is a spirit, and he longs to have sincere worshipers who worship and adore him in the realm of the spirit and truth. It's about the heart. And that's what this digging deep thing that I'm talking about tonight is about. It's about digging deep, allowing the Lord to dig deep in your heart. Because our hearts are actually a portal to heaven. Our hearts are actually the way that heaven moves in the earth. But if we have so much dirt caked up in us, there's no open space for him to come out. It's, I, I had a vision before, and I've talked about it, where I saw, I saw a window, and I saw a person standing on one side of the window, and the window was caked with dirt, and Jesus was on the other side. And he's like, clean the window. And she's like, God, I can't hear you. Jesus, I can't see you. I don't know where you are. I don't understand why I'm going through this. And she's crying out and screaming and just letting all this out. And, and Jesus is like, shh, hush, hush. If you just hush, you could hear me. Clean the window. I'm right here. You know, and she, he's, he's trying to get through to her, but she's so worried and freaking out about circumstances that she can't even realize that it's a window in front of her. And some of us are like that with our hearts. Our, we're like, God, I can't hear you. I don't hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. I don't know what he sounds like. I don't know, I don't know if he ever has spoken to me. I don't know if he even cares about me. And Jesus is on the other side of your heart, and he's saying, let me in. Let me dig deep. Let me deal with the dirt. When I deal with the dirt, it'll be easy for you to hear me and see me. The woman said, this is also confusing, but I do know the anointed one is coming, the true Messiah, and when he comes, he will tell us everything we need to know. She's talking to the Messiah, doesn't know it. Just like the woman at the window, Jesus is right there, no idea. Jesus said to her, you don't have to wait any longer. The anointed one is here speaking with you. I'm the one you're looking for. Some, anybody ever need that kind of message from God? Like you're so hard-headed that he's telling you everything about your life, speaking to you in a hundred thousand different ways, and you're like, I still can't hear you. And he's like, I'm Jesus. <laughs> Whoa, do you need an audible voice? You know, like there's so many times where, where the Lord is speaking to us and we're just too shut off to hear him. And so it's time... It's time for us to start dealing with, with the dirt. It's time for us to start dealing in deliverance daily. I believe that the Lord, the Lord wants us to understand that when we stand before him, he only ever sees what we will be. When we're washed by the blood, when, we, when, we, when we're seen by the eyes of salvation, he doesn't see what we're not. He sees what we're going to become. And he declares that over us. You know, digging, digging wells is symbolic of God's process of removing the hardness and dirt in our lives, and more specifically, really removing selfishness. Uh, a lot of us, everybody, I think it's the human condition to really only think about yourself and how things are affecting 
you. It's really hard for us to get out of that perspective and see, you know, especially in arguments or disagreements, that everybody's going through something. But if we could all start allowing the Lord to expand our, our perception from selfishness to selflessness, that's where we see water begin to flow. Now, the process of digging a well, I, I've talked a little bit about it, but I, I started researching that when the Lord started speaking to me. And he said, basically, in the, old, in the biblical times, in the biblical times, they had to dig wells with a shovel and a pickaxe. Do you know how hard that is? Because in order to dig a well, you have to dig all the way down to the water table, Right? And so there's a lot of hard ground, a lot of really hard earth right above the water table, right? And that's where, like, the biggest breakthrough has to come. It's, it's right when you're just inches away from, from water. That's where the, the rock is the hardest. And so in the biblical times, when Abraham dug wells, when Isaac dug wells, they had people that helped them, obviously. They had their servants, but they did it by hand, which is a symbol of having to dig wells in your own strength, really. But today, the technology that they used to, to dig wells, they use these massive drills, right? And all the power is in the drill, and all you have to do is work the drill, right? And, and it's like that because of the new covenant for us spiritually. You know, so many of us, we're trying, to, we're trying to deal with our dirt in our own way, in our own strength, with our shovel and our pickaxe, and we're like, God, I'm so tired of this, I'm so tired of this, and he's like, well, you're not using the right equipment. Jesus became your drill so that you could break through to the water table, so that you could break through the veil. He tore the veil. And so, you know, even in this, you know, I think about, I think about Moses. Remember when they were in the desert? And I'm gonna just paraphrase this because it's a, it's a long passage, but in Exodus 17, Moses is with the people in the desert, right? And, and they're all complaining. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so thirsty. We're so thirsty, Lord. Which anytime you see desert or barrenness or famine or drought in the Bible, what, it, what it's symbolic of is not being able to hear the voice of God. Because the voice of God is like rushing waters, right? And so, so it's symbolic of that. And the people are like, I just need water. It's so, you know, we're so thirsty. And so Moses begins to talk with God about it. And he says, okay, Moses, I want you to strike the, wa strike the rock and water will pour, will pour forth. And it was a foreshadowing of Jesus. The rock was symbolic of Jesus. And the strike that he struck into the rock when it poured forth water was symbolic of the spear in Jesus' side when blood and water poured forth from his side. God was, was trying to set them up to see that he was sending Christ to be the water in their life. He was sending Christ to make a way for water to pour forth. Later in, in, the, in that desert, in the wilderness, in Numbers 20, the same thing happens. The people are once again crying out about being thirsty, needing water, needing to have the, the, the water to be able to quench their thirst. And Moses goes to God, and this time he says something different. He says, Moses, speak to the rock, and it will pour forth water. But here's where things got a little tricky. Moses went to the rock, and what did he do? Does anybody know? 
He struck the rock, not once, but twice. He didn't speak to the rock. He struck the rock twice, which was a problem because what he was doing is he was relying on a process of times past or something he had seen God do before in a certain way. And he knew, well, this worked before, so maybe it'll work again and tried to do it in his own strength. I think he struck it twice because he was shocked that it didn't happen the first time. Why? Because he had seen it happen before, and he's like, what in the world, God? Like, I, I know you do this, this whole strike the rock, and you give me water thing. And he, so he strikes it a second time. And God does give him water because God is merciful and loved the people and didn't want them to die in the desert before they produced a generation to go to the promised land. But he, what, he was, what Moses did is he messed with the system of what God was trying to show, that when we step into the new covenant, when we step into Jesus the drill... All we have to do is speak and he comes running. All we have to do is say Jesus and water pours forth. It's only the name. It's in the declaration. It's in the speaking that we see Jesus in our lives. We don't have to have a shovel and a pickaxe anymore digging at the dirt in the hardest of times trying to get our own breakthrough. We can step into the new covenant knowing that Jesus took the hardship on himself. Now all we have to do is declare it to the enemy. Water is pouring forth when we start speaking the word of God over our lives. And that's, that's really big when it comes to deliverance. You know, the first, the first part of digging, like I talked about, was that the dig is where we find deliverance. Deliverance, like I said, it's a daily process, and it has a couple different definitions. When I looked up the, the definitions of deliverance, it says to set free to take and hand over to or leave for another. That's really interesting. To set free, to take and hand over for another. And then it also said to assist in giving birth or to give birth to. And it said to speak and to utter in song or, um, or in word. So to deliver has a lot of different definitions, right? But I think all of these things that I just talked about are really crucial when it comes to deliverance in our own lives. Del to deliver means to set free. It means to take and hand over or to leave to another. It means to assist in giving birth. And it means to speak in song or word. Our freedom, our deliverance is really just contingent on our ability to hand over or leave things we're carrying to God. That's, that's what to deliver means. You literally are standing before God saying, here, Lord, I'm delivering you my problems. I'm delivering you me. I'm delivering you all of it. That's where freedom comes. Freedom comes when we deliver ourselves to the Lord, when we leave it in his hands. And the thing is, we need to be delivered from ourselves and self-promotion. So many times we try to promote ourselves in life and that's where a lot of the problems start stirring up just like i was talking about with moses he tried to strike the rock twice he was doing it in his own strength and and god out of his love still ministered to the people that's why we have ministers going around still trying to do things in their own strength not in the strength of god and people are still being ministered to because god's merciful and he's gracious and he wants people to have jesus in his heart and in their hearts and he will use all things together for the good of those who love him right but he wants us to understand that we don't have to do it that way. He made a way for it to be easier. It's not about striving or stress. It's about surrender. Amen. Good. You know, insecurity 
is just an indication that you haven't invested enough time learning about your God-given identity. A lot of self-promotion comes from a place of, of, of insecurity, really. Because when we promote, we're, pro, we're, pro, excuse me, we're promoting ourselves to be able to say, hey, look at me, I'm not, as, I'm not as bad as I think I am. It's kind of twisted if you think about it. Anybody ever been there? Like you just, you start defending yourself when no one else needs a defense just because you feel insecure about something. Wow. You know, it's like with my kids, sometimes they're all needing something at once, all three of them, and I'm like, I don't have enough to be able to do it all. And I start yelling or I start getting frustrated with them. And when I really stop and realize what's going on, it's not that I'm mad at them. They didn't do anything wrong. They're my kids. They're supposed to come to me for what they need. That's dependency of parenthood. You know, that's, that's what parenthood is about. But why am I upset? I'm upset because I don't feel like I'm enough. There's an insecurity in me. I'm upset, not because they're asking, but because I don't feel like I can give what they're asking for. You know? And so we have to say all these things to other people or do all these things to try to make ourselves look like more than we are because on the inside we don't feel like we have it all together. And so, you know, just like these other things, when we deal with our dirt, dirt is one of these dirt things is insecurity. And we just have to begin going into the throne room, letting God show us who we are and being okay with saying, Lord, I just give me to you and I say the pressure's off. This isn't about me. If I flub up my words and sound like I have some kind of speech impediment, oh well, it's not about me. <laughs> you know, it's about you, Lord. This is about what you're doing in people's hearts. And if I have to look like a fool for him to look great, awesome. You know, there's, this, there's this prophet that I, that I know of. His name is Sean Bowles. And he, was, he, he produces this show on YouTube. And he's known as the words of knowledge guy. Like he goes on into platforms and areas where there are thousands of people. And the Lord will give him people's phone numbers and addresses and crazy stuff. And he'll start speaking it out and then get releasing prophetic words to them. That's insane to me. Like I can't even wrap my mind around it. But there was one night, he talked about this in, in one of his, his shows that he does on YouTube, where he was really off. Like, he got up on stage at a really well-known church, and there were all these people there, and he's like, I feel like God's saying, is this a birthday for someone, maybe? Crickets. Nobody. He said he released seven words of knowledge that he thought were God, and nobody said a word. And he was like, well, this is embarrassing, but you know what? But God, I hope the word that I speak to you tonight is something that you can receive from, because that wasn't, you know, like he, just totally embarrassing. And he said, he said, I thought this is crazy, but you know, sometimes we miss it. Sometimes we miss it. But this is the goodness of God. After the service, he said he was standing in the altar and this woman comes at him kind of crazed. And she's like, I told all my friends you were a false prophet. I don't believe in your gift. I didn't believe in any of it. And she's like, but then you messed up. And he's like, so what are you saying? I'm more of a false prophet, you know? And he's like, she's like, no, I'm saying that what motive would you have for messing up if you were in it for the wrong reason? She said, I believe in you. I believe that you're a prophet of God now because you, you messed up. I'm like, I'm watching this video and I'm just cracking up because I'm like, who knew God could use something as simple as that? Maybe God gave him stuff 
that was not, I don't know, maybe he just let him go on his own little thought process so that this woman would be ministered to. I don't know what happened. I don't get it. But isn't it so cool that God can use even our foolishness to minister to someone? And so if we can just get away from self-promotion, it's get away from pride, get away from self, and realize that God, God is so much bigger than ourselves, that's where things really start changing in our lives and in other people's lives. You know, we sang about it tonight. It's not about me. Amen. It's not about you. It's about God. And our, our attention needs to be on him, you know. And this is the thing. Anytime that we feel offended, anytime that we feel bitter, anytime that we feel frustrated with things, it's probably because we took our eyes off Jesus. So, you know, we, we have to realize that if we're looking at something else, it, we're not looking at Christ. And we need to get our gaze back to him. I, I shared this a couple weeks ago when I ministered on a Sunday morning. But I saw this vision of a well. And I was asking the Lord to give me a clarity on the difference between humility and pride. And I feel to share this again, but I saw a vision of a well, and there was a man in the bottom of the well, and he starts declaring that he's on a mountaintop. He looks ridiculous. Just in the bottom of the well, declaring he's on a mountaintop, and he said, that's pride. Then I saw a picture of a well, and I saw a man who was laying prostrate on the ground, and he said, God, I can't do this by myself. Would you help me? Would you come? Would you be my strength? And then I saw the Lord pouring out water. And the man who was humble, the waters came, and as the waters rose, he floated on his back up to the top of the well. The Lord promoted him because of his position laying prostrate before him, because of his ability to say, not my strength, Lord, but yours. I'm not going to be deceived and, and try to deceive others that I'm on a mountaintop when really I'm not. But the Lord began to raise him up because of his humility. But the man in arrogance and pride who was standing straight up, when the waters came, it crushed him. That's what happens when we don't position ourselves rightly in the presence of the Lord. Does God want to crush us? No, he does not. He doesn't desire that. But if, we're, if, if we really want to have relationship with him, we have to do it in humility. Because pride was the very thing that got Lucifer kicked out of heaven. Promotion comes from the Lord, so stop chasing your dreams and start chasing Jesus. So many of us, we're so concerned about our dreams. We're so concerned about what it is that we're supposed to be running after, the destiny that God has for us, that we miss it. Jesus is here in this moment. And if you keep your eyes on him, he'll lead you there. You don't even have to worry about it. All you have to do is keep your eyes locked on him. Keep allowing him to dig deep so that you stay within the flow of his, of his well, the flow of his water. Jesus didn't promote himself, and yet he grew crowds everywhere he went. <clears throat> Why? Because he only did what he saw his father doing, and people noticed God in him. If we try to draw crowds on our own abilities, our own talents, it'll always fall short. They'll, they'll leave, people will leave when you decide you can't do it anymore. But if we draw crowds on the basis of God, God will keep working because he never runs out and they'll stay. You know, I was just watching this video last night about this 
this girl, she's not even saved, she's someone in the secular realm, and she was talking about how she used to do street performance. And she wrote a whole song about it because she would get so tired, she'd go out and she'd street perform, she had a keyboard set up and she would sing, and there would be all this crowd around her and it would be a bunch of like drunk people and people who were not, you know, living right. And she would sing and they were happy while she was singing. But the second that she stopped, she said one night she was there for six hours straight singing and playing because they kept saying, just do one more, just one more. We just need a little more, just one more from you. And she said she literally could feel her, you know, her cords like falling apart, like she needed a break. And she's like, guys, I got to stop tonight. I, I'm going to go. And somebody threw something at her and started cursing her out because she wouldn't continue performing. And she's like, that's what they say. They just, you know, they only want me for my song. They only want me for my talent. They only want me for my ability. And a lot of us, we feel like that in relationships in our lives. We feel like that all over the place because we're like, oh, they only want me for this. They only want me for that. Yeah, because you're trying to do it in your own strength. And they're drawn to your gift and your talent, but that will never sustain them or you. So what they have to be drawn to is God in you, and then you begin to transfer dependency from God in you getting to them to God in them. And God in them overflowing into someone else. And the process continues. He never runs dry. So if you're feeling dry, if you're feeling drought, it's only because you haven't tapped in. You haven't tapped into to his presence enough. And you know, I know we talk about speaking in tongues a lot, but man, does that help. You know, why speak in tongues? I was thinking about this earlier this week, and I thought, you know, probably because there's a lot of things the Holy Spirit needs to pray through us that we would not pray had we known what he was asking us to pray for. Because there's some dirt in our lives he wants to get rid of, and it's going to be uncomfortable. And we're not going to pray for that in our own will unless our will has been surrendered to him for him to pray it for us. That happens a lot. I, believe, I, I really believe that it does. There's so much that God wants to do in our lives and in other people. And, and, you know, sometimes we get so focused on the way we think God should do something that we miss out the, on the fact that he's already doing something. You know, I think about, about Moses. He's so attached to the way he did what he did before when he struck the rock and the water came forth. And then he was disappointed, so disappointed that it didn't happen again that he began striking the rock again. That's insanity, folks. Doing the same thing over and over again, thinking you're going to get a different result. But God doesn't always use the same way. He doesn't always use the same method. Of course, the way is always Jesus, but Jesus does things in peculiar ways sometimes. And so we have to be so focused on him so that we don't rely on traditions. We don't rely on other things. We don't rely on what we think his word means. How many have done that before? The Lord gives you a prophetic word and you're like, I know what that means. And you start hoping for it. And then it doesn't happen the way you thought it would. And you get so disappointed that you can't even move on. Why? Because your hope was in what you wanted, not in the word who is Christ. And I, I've been there. I've done that. You know, even this year, the Lord, I've, I've talked about this before. The Lord gave us this prophetic word. You're going to release an album by the end of the year. And I'm like, yes, I'm so excited. I want to release this worship album. Like, we've been working on music for so long. I'm so excited. And then we get about halfway through the Lord, and he's like, no, no, it's a rap album. And I'm like, oh, I don't rap. 
No, I'm just kidding. You know, it was like one of those things where I was like, I was so excited about it that when, when the Lord revealed his actual way and what it was that he was doing, I was a little disappointed because I'm like, oh, but we've been working on all this music for so long and I just really wanted to see this happen. And not that I was disappointed in the album that my husband was producing because it's wonderful, but it just was different than what I expected. And there's always disappointment when things are different than what you expected. And so, you know, we have to deal with the dirt of disappointment in our lives and say, Lord, I saw things a different way than you did, and I'm sorry for that. I repent for not asking you what it was that you were, what you meant by what you said, you know, because so often we do that. We expect things to happen in our timing or in a certain way, and then we get disappointed. And it's not God we're disappointed in. It's, it's our expectations that were flawed. It's our, it was our deception that was flawed, you know? So we have to get to that point where we're able to say, Lord, deliver me from myself. Deliver me from my own methods, my own way of thinking. And then once you've been delivered, you can begin to carry the seed of God because delivery means to birth something, right? And once you've been delivered of all your own crap, there's enough room for God to put his stuff in you that will actually birth something good that will actually birth something beneficial in your life. And, you know, the birthing comes when we start to declare things. When we start to declare, potential begins to grow, right? It's like that seed in a mother's womb. There's, there's all the potential of a full-sized human being in this tiny little seed in a mom's womb, right? And it has to grow, though. It has a process. There's a process of growing. And, and though that potential is there, we have to begin to declare it and mold it and cultivate it and excavate it to be able to see that potential released, right? And that's in, that's in gardening. That's in so many different areas of our life. But Jesus himself, baby Jesus, came in the form of a seed. He didn't die on the cross when he was an infant. He didn't. Perfect Savior Jesus went through a process. 30 years of private ministry to God before three years of public ministry to the world. Our ministry is first to God. First to the private space. First to digging deep in ourselves and saying, God, have your way in me, in our relationship, you and I, and I and him. And guess what? Maybe for every decade, you'll see a really cool year where God does something amazing. And I'm not saying that's always the case, but if Jesus himself needed a whole decade of private ministry for each year he was in public ministry, how much more do we need private time with the Lord? How much more do we need to step into intimacy with God every moment of every day to see anything produced in our lives? The dig is where we are delivered. The dig is where we are developed. It's where God develops us. It's where we build up our muscles in the spirit to have faith. I like this. Havila Cunnington, she says, our faith is really just relative to our history in God. The greatness of your faith will always match how much you know him. Because when you know him, 
When you know who he is, you don't doubt him because his word is always true. So how well do you know him because that's the level of your faith? How well do you know his perspective, his mindset, his eternal being? How well do you know his fruit, his nature? Because that's where you're developed. That's where faith is developed. The dig is also where we find destiny. And destiny is ultimately the will of God for our lives. It's the culmination of all that God will do as we develop the potential inside of us. Just like baby Jesus. The destiny was all there. It was written long before he was ever there. All the way back to before Moses when God was trying to to reveal a type and foreshadowing of Christ. All the way then, his destiny was secured. Way back when, your destiny was secured. The dig is where we find desire. God's desire for us, not our own desires. Or actually, you might find a little bit of both. You might find out you desired something that you didn't realize you desired. Why? Because our desires always match our declaration. If your words don't prove your desire, then you don't actually desire what you think you do. When you're walking around saying, Life is terrible. You don't really believe that Jesus is your life because Jesus is not terrible. You know, you'll find, you'll find that the things that you say on a daily basis actually reveal what you desire or what you think deep down inside. And that's why we have to dig deep. We have to say, Lord, what am I believing that's not in your sight, that's not in your way, that's not your mindset about me and about my circumstances, about everything around me? Because I need you to fortify the walls of my well so that I can know that things aren't going to collapse around me from believing the wrong things. The dig is where we find our determination This is the act of coming to a decision or fixing or settling on a purpose. We find determination when we fix our eyes on Jesus. He set his eyes on the joy that was set before him, and it gave him the motivation and the determination to go all the way to the cross and to be raised again. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we have motivation. We have determination. Wells are a symbol of wealth in the Bible because wherever there is a well, there's an ability for fruit to be produced. There's an ability for harvest to come. The water in your well will begin to fertilize the ground around you. And so it's symbolic of wealth in the Old Testament because it was able to sustain life. And today, it's still symbolic of wealth. If you are a well, you become wealth to everyone around you. You become a treasure to the people that surround you because they know that you are producing fruit. You are fertilizing anything that your hand touches, that your words declare. Third John 2 says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in good health even as your soul does prosper. Your soul, your soul is where the well comes from. And if it's not prospering, if it's not welling up with the waters of Christ, then you're not prospering. If you're having an issue in your physical body or in your relationships or in your circumstances, it's only evidence that there is something deeper that has to be healed. 
something deeper that you have to go to the Father to. And a lot of us, we don't want to deal with our dirt because it's painful. And there's good pain and there's bad pain, but God will use it all for, for, for the good. I don't believe he causes bad pain, but I do believe that he uses it, like I said before. And we all need to get to the place where we're able to embrace pain as a way of growth. Because God wants to do something amazing in your life. And you are just two inches away from striking water. You're two inches away from breaking ground and seeing a well of wealth in your life. But we stop just shy of it because we get afraid of pain. We get, we get afraid of processing. But if we, just, if we just keep being determined, fixing our eyes on Jesus and letting him be our strength, that's where things change. I know we're getting time-wise to where we probably need to wrap things up, right? I don't, I'm not really sure. It, if you have to go, I will not be offended. I don't want to keep you here all night long, but um, I just, it's just so on my heart tonight that you're not in a pit, you're in a well. Let God begin to dig deep in you and understand that there's, there's so much more for you to find God, when I was talking about wells, I thought about Abraham and Isaac in the Old Testament. And Abraham, Abraham dug wells everywhere he went because he needed to sustain what God had given him to, to care for. And later, enemies began to stop up those wells. And when the enemy came and stopped up those wells, Abraham was too old and too tired to redig them. And so what happens is the Lord calls Isaac to redig the wells. And some of us have been dealing with some stuff in our lives where we feel like the enemy has been trying to, to fill, fill our lives with dirt. And even generationally, it's not just you, it's generations beyond you. There's generational curses, there's things that abound your family, whether it be self-promotion or self-righteousness or selfishness, those things, they bound you. And, you know, you have to be the one like Isaac to say, I'm going to redig the wells. I'm going to break through, if not just for me, for generations beyond me. For the Israelites. For Jesus. Because Isaac set, he set to redigging wells and, and dug wells, and he taught his son Jacob how to dig a well that would one day hold Jesus and a woman who needed to hear from him. We are building things in this generation that future generations will use to facilitate an encounter with Jesus. All the way back then, the Lord has been building destiny and, and putting potential in things. And you know what? We've messed up. Moses messed up. Abraham messed up. Isaac messed up. Jacob messed up. So many of us, we dealt with the strife. We, we've dealt with trying to do it in our own strength. But if God had a plan for it then, he has a plan for it now. And you know, this is what the Lord told me. He said, did you know that you have a right to completing the purposes and destinies of your spiritual heritage that were stopped up by the enemy? 
Everything that past generations have not accomplished when God called it out of them, called them to do it. We have access to that. We can be the ones to redig the wells. We can be the ones to accomplish the purposes of God. We don't have to let potential go to waste because God doesn't, he doesn't create waste. If he called it forth then, it's still called forth now and it's available to us. When someone dies prematurely or without accomplishing the fullness of his purpose, he reassigns his purposes to those who are still living. I saw a vision of billowing waves of purpose and the will of God overtaking this generation. He said, because generations past have gone into the grave with untapped or stopped up potential, I'm pouring out a greater measure of grace to accomplish not only your spiritual destiny, but those of the previous generations. Where they only saw seasons of spiritual significance and advancements, you will see a lifetime of it. Those that pass on are interceding with Jesus for you to complete all of the purposes they failed to accomplish. There is intercession in heaven. There is a cry from heaven saying, Lord, we didn't accomplish our purposes. We made it to eternity, but we didn't do what we should have done. Will you please call another to do it? Will you call another to take care of it? There's a call coming from heaven right now saying, will you rise up to not just your potential, but potential that has gone into the ground without being untapped. All the wells that were untapped, all the things that God desired to spring forth in the earth that didn't get tapped into. Remember the days where we had rollover minutes? <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the image God gave me. I don't know how many of you guys remember Is Anybody else remember that? So if you didn't use up all your minutes in this, in this month, you could use those minutes the next month, and they just kept like building up, right? That's what's been happening for generations. Potential of God, roll over minutes. Because he has so many plans that are bigger than what we could ask, think, or fathom for us. And all these things that haven't been accomplished are rolling over, rolling over to the next generation. And he's saying, will there be a generation that will accomplish what I sent them to accomplish? Will there be a generation that will use the minutes that I've put before you? You have access to so much purpose. Don't ever say I don't have purpose. Amen. Even just in praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on a daily basis. You open up a place for the potential of a seed of God to begin to manifest. Genesis 26, 18 says, Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them some names that his father had given him. Isaac understood that he had to redig the wells. But guess what? You got to deal with your own dirt before you can tap into all of that. You want that big purpose? You want that big destiny? You want to tap into rollover minutes? Then baby, you better deal with your dirt. Otherwise, you'll become dirt and the potential will go in the dirt too. There is so much more for us. So much more. Amen. And God has his secrets that he wants to continue to reveal to us. And I find it interesting that the man who, who founded this place called Canton, his last name was Wells. Wells. 
because there are wells that God has here in this land. And it's time for us to dig them. Father God, I just thank you so much for what you're doing, for the purposes, the potential. Lord, I thank you so much that you have such great plans for us, that you care so much about us, that you would let us co-labor with you when you could have done it perfectly by yourself. Instead, you chose to use us because you just, you just wanted to know us. You just wanted to be with us. So Lord, I pray that we would begin dealing with the dirt in our lives, that we would begin digging deep that we would dig so deep that we would hit the well of your spirit and it would just continue to overflow and to billow and that that well would become waves swelling over a generation to stand for your righteousness, to see salvation, to see a harvest of souls, to see heaven filled with people that might never get there if it wasn't for your grace and your glory. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing tonight. We worship you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Wasn't that good? No, what you don't realize is that every Sunday night, Henry and Consuela and Hunter and Allie leave here after worship and they go minister to our youth. Allie has not been sitting in here on Sunday nights listening to what's been taught. Isn't that amazing? I mean, some of the statements she made tonight are the exact statements that are being made to you on a weekly basis. In fact, uh, transformation to my destination, come on. Isn't God good? See, many times God will bring a fresh perspective and he says, okay, I've been looking at, I've been having you look at this side of the mountain, but you know what? There's another dimension. And he brings you right around here and he says, now look at this side. And all of a sudden he'll bring you around. He'll be, look at this side because I want you to get the full picture. Deal with your dirt. Change the way you think. Can you say amen? Why don't you stand? Hallelujah. Say this with me. Say, epic, epic. Christmas. Christmas. Epic, epic Christmas. Christmas. Say, next Sunday night, next Sunday night. I'm, going to invite. I'm going to invite. Now, think about it before you repeat. Say, five people. people. There are flyers on the, on the thing out there, the, uh, what do you call it, the visitors thing. Grab some flyers. I'm telling you, you don't want to miss next Sunday night. It's going to be, and excuse the pun, epic. It's going to involve every generation from our babies clear up through the, yes. Cece said to me, we've included every generation and every generation's going to enjoy next Sunday night. There's gonna be funny parts, there's going to be parts that might make you cry. There's going to be parts that make you think. And there's going to be parts that make you worship who Jesus really is. Can you say amen? amen? So I feel like God dropped this in my spirit a couple months ago. And we're running with it. And we want to make sure that you're here next Sunday night, 6 p.m. We love you guys. 
We'll see you next week.